All right, so if you uh, have your Bibles with you, we're going to go through several scriptures today. We'll, pull, we'll put them up here on the screen as well, but if you have your Bible, look them up on your Bible, follow along on your Bible, and uh, you can also, uh, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can look us up there. Our notes will be there as well for uh, this message today. You know, when uh, Jesus was crucified, the year was 33 A.D., he had approximately 120 followers at that time. 120 followers that were true to him, that were true to his message at that time. Now today, about 2,000 years later, there are 2.3 billion people all over the world, billion with a B, that claim to be followers of Jesus. 2.3 billion now, to just put that into perspective a little bit, that means that uh, one out of every three people on this planet, one out of every three would say, I am a follower of Jesus. Now, followers of Jesus may not look exactly alike around the world, but the, I'm talking about people who say, I know Jesus, I, I know about the, the cross, I know about the resurrection, and I choose to follow Jesus. So, now this means that the, the church established by Jesus, the Christian church is by far, by far the largest organization on planet earth. Nothing else comes even close. Nothing else comes close to the size of the church. Nothing else come close, comes close to 2.3 billion followers of Jesus. Did you know that the church is bigger than China? Isn't that amazing? Did you know that the church is bigger than China and Europe put together? Did you know that the, the church is bigger than China and Europe and the U.S. put together? We're talking about there's nothing on this planet than the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Now, my question is, how in the world did that happen? When Jesus was crucified, there were 120 people that were following him. And now, from that 120, which really, we go back before the 120, there were only 12. Remember when he called the 12? And so how did Christianity spread so fast? How did it happen that it expanded into this huge organization, or rather organism, it's alive, that is made up of one out of every three people on the planet? Well, in the Word, the answer is the resurrection. It was a resurrection that changed everything. It was a resurrection that split history into A.D. and B.C. It was a, uh, or B.C. and A.D. It was a resurrection that really is the single most significant event in all of history. Nothing else comes close. And every, in fact, I mentioned how the resurrection split history into uh, uh, B.C. and A.D. And every other event in history is dated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, either before or after. Your birthday. Anybody have a birthday today? Anybody have a birthday this week? This month? April? April birthdays? Hey, we got a couple. Okay. Your birthday, my birthday, sorry, we're not going to sing happy birthday today. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, our birthdays are also 
marked their dated, you know, by the day, month, year, on how many years it's been since the resurrection of Jesus. The single most significant event is history in history is that Jesus rose from the dead. And so what the resurrection did for the followers of Jesus, for the 120 at that time who were, uh, when he was killed, who was crucified, were disconsolate, were depressed, disillusioned. They were in despair and great fear. What the resurrection did is it turned them into very courageous and uh, a group of people and contagious, contagious with hope, contagious with hope. And they began to spread this message of hope all over the world because they had seen Jesus uh, crucified and then he came back to life and it changed everything. So what I want to do today and for the next two weeks, what I want to do is after next two weeks after today, what I want to do is look at why the followers of Jesus are the most hopeful people on this planet. Why we are the most hopeful or hope-filled people on the planet. We have more hope than anybody else. We're realistic. We're not denying reality. We're not denying that life is hard. We're not denying that people get cancer and other diseases that sometimes homes break up. God doesn't want that, but life is difficult and they're sitting in this world. But in spite of all that, and what makes it even more amazing, because of all that, in spite of all that, we have more hope than anybody else. And it's all because of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. I'm going to give you two reasons today, two reasons why the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. The first reason is this. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope because it means that we can be completely forgiven. We can be completely forgiven. You know, we, we read that Jesus said uh, over and over repeatedly, He said to His followers, I'm going to die on the cross. They didn't understand this for a long time. And in fact, some didn't understand it till the very end. But He would tell them, I'm going to die on the cross to pay for all your sins. And then He said, and then I'm going to come back to life three days later, just to prove that I am who I say I am. Right Now, if he hadn't done the second part, he could have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified, I'm going to die for your sins, and that happened. But if he hadn't done the second part where he came back to life, uh, then we would have every reason to doubt, wouldn't we? You would have a reason to doubt that he really died for your sins or that he died for my sins. I, I would say, well... He said he was going to die for my sins. He said he was going to be crucified. And it happened just like he said. But he also said he was going to come back to life. And he didn't. So I'm not sure. He completed 50%. You know, is that, is that good enough? Uh, but that's not what happened. Because the two go together. Him dying and him rising from the dead. And, from the dead. In fact, look at Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7 reads like this. In Christ... We are set free by the blood of His death. And so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. Right? So we're set free and we have by the blood that, that was shed and we have forgiveness of our sins. Now we're all imperfect, right? We're all imperfect. We all carry regrets. We all carry remorse. We always wish we had done things differently. 
we sin and we feel bad about our sins. We feel guilty about that. But one thing I know is that God doesn't want you to carry around guilt through your entire life. He doesn't want you to live with regret and remorse your entire life. He doesn't want you to carry this load, this burden of shame through your life. And the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross was that so you could be forgiven and free from all that guilt, from all that shame. Because guilt wastes so much energy, so much of our energy. You know, guilt will tire you out. How many of you know that? Guilt will tire you out. It'll rob you of peace. Well, when Jesus said, I came to die for your sins, so you don't have to die for them. You don't have to feel the guilt and the regret and the shame. I came to hang on the cross so you could stop hanging yourself on the cross for every little thing you do wrong. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question or thought about this, but who really killed Jesus? Who really put Jesus on the cross? You might be thinking of some answers. You know, who's, who's to blame for Jesus being on the cross? You might say, well, it was, uh, it, it was the religious leaders. They hated him, and it's their fault. Or, or you might say, well, it was the Romans, the Romans who carried out the crucifixion. They were the, the men who killed him, who crucified him, were, were uh, rough men and who enjoyed killing and torturing and killing men. They, they enjoyed it. It was their fault. Or you might say, well, it was Judas because Judas betrayed him. Um, well, it wasn't Judas. It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't Caiaphas, a high priest. It wasn't even the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. So who really put Jesus, who really killed Jesus, put Jesus on the cross and killed him? Well, the answer is twofold. And this may shock you. This may shock you. But here's, here's the first part of the answer. Uh, who put Jesus on the cross? God did. It was God. The Bible tells us that. God put Jesus on, this cro- on the cross. It was God's plan from the very beginning. It's why Jesus came to earth to die for our sins so we might be forgiven and be released from the guilt and, and the shame. It was God's plan. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a, is a well-known passage we turn to often, especially during Holy Week. A powerful passage. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. And then we'll jump to verse 10. But look at, look at what this says. We all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way. But look at this next sentence. But the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. So was God the Father who put on Jesus the punishment? He did it. But it's a punishment for the evil that we did, that we committed. Verse 7, he was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was like a lamb being led to be killed. He was quiet as the sheep is quiet while its wool is being cut. He never opened his mouth. And then verse 10, but it was the Lord who decided to crush him and to make him suffer. Wow, have you ever thought about that? It was God, the Father. His own father who decided to crush Jesus and to make him suffer because we sinned for our sins. 
This was all part of God's plan to save us. This was all part of God's plan to give us an opportunity to trust Him for salvation. But the second answer, the second part of this answer may surprise you. Who put Jesus on the cross? Well, God the Father did. But secondly, we did. You put Him on the cross. I put Him on the cross. We did. Because if none of us had sinned, then Jesus wouldn't have to die for our sins. If we, if we hadn't sinned, if man hadn't sinned and passed his sin nature to us, and we continued the sin, then Jesus would have no reason to die for our sins. Romans 4, 25, reads like this. And on Wednesday nights, we're in the, in the middle of a, this long and detailed study from the book of Romans. We invite you to join us online on Wednesdays. And uh, so Romans 4.25, Paul writes, He was handed over to die because of our sins. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. And that's it right there. That's what Easter is about. He, he, he was handed over to die because of whose sins? Our sins. All of us. But He was raised to life to make us right with God. So, who's included in our? It's you, me, us. We're made right with God. And that means that we are completely forgiven for our sins. When we confess, when we repent. And let me tell you, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. I'm not facing any judgment. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment, no condemnation. So I, I have hope because I have been forgiven and it's all because of the resurrection. I said I was going to give you two reasons why the resurrection gives us hope. Uh, the first one I said is that uh, we can be completely forgiven. And then secondly, the resurrection gives us hope because it means that we no longer have to be afraid to die. We no longer have to be afraid to die. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He broke the power of death. Not only broke the power of death, but He broke the fear of death. The fear of death is universal. Right? Everybody has it. doesn't matter where you go. It's universal. And if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then we wouldn't even know that there's such a thing as life after death. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we'd be thinking, well, people die and what happens? I guess people cease to exist or is there an afterlife? Or, I mean, we wouldn't know. But because Jesus died, you know, we, we, if he hadn't died, we wouldn't know. We'd be able to guess at it. We'd be able to say, well, I hope there's life after death. But you wouldn't have any way to prove it. But because Jesus died and came back to life, and He said, I conquered death, then we have hope. And uh, we don't have to fear. That, uh, the reality is there's not only life after death, but there's a better life. There's a greater life. And that's good news, and that gives us hope. Here's what Jesus said to Martha in John eleven twenty five. Mary and Martha... And Lazarus were good friends, were best friends, really, with Jesus. And uh, when Lazarus 
the brother died. Here's what Jesus said to Martha. In John 11, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now that right there is reason for hope. And if Jesus Christ hadn't risen on that first Easter Sunday, we would all be helpless and hopeless. It'd be like, you know, death is in. It's over. Once we die, it's, it's all over. There's no more hope. Now, many of you know this. When Jesus died, they, they buried him in a tomb. But in those days, they didn't bury people under the ground so much as in caves. Kind of like mausoleums today. They would bury people in caves, and they would put this great stone in front of the cave, and they would, they would roll uh, the stone. <coughs> Excuse me. Somebody beat a very place there. They'd roll the stone away. Somebody, another family member would die and, and place their body in there. They're like family caves, family burial caves. You know, the entire families for generations would have this family tomb. And there'd be a lot of people buried in that same cave. So after Jesus died, Joseph of, of, of Arimathea, sorry, uh, volunteered his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And so they put him in there. They rolled this huge stone in front of it. But then Pilate had the tomb sealed. Then he, had, uh, he, then he placed two uh, guards, two Roman guards on either side. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, back where the disciples were meeting, they were... They were scared to death. They were scared to death. They were so afraid that they were next to be arrested and to be killed because they were followers of Jesus, that they got together in one location behind closed doors, behind locked doors because of fear. And why were they there? Because they didn't believe the resurrection was going to happen. Jesus had told them that, and they didn't grasp it. They didn't believe it. If they had believed it, they wouldn't have been afraid. They wouldn't have said, okay, he's going. it's going according to his plan. The next step, he's going, to, he's going to come back. Nobody expected it. I've heard Andy Stanley say that on uh, Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, nobody was at the, at the tomb, waiting by the tomb, counting down. Ten, nine, eight, he's going to come alive. Seven, six, because nobody expected it. Certainly the disciples didn't expect it. And they were behind closed doors in fear, disillusioned, depressed, afraid, as I said, that they were next to be executed. Now, on that Sunday morning, the third day, one of the women, Mary Magdalene, decided she's going to go to the tomb. And when she got there, she saw that the seal had been broken. She saw that the stone had been rolled away. There was no body. She went in there. There was no body there. And the grave clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in were folded neatly and placed on a step in the tomb. And so Mary, and I guess this is logical. She thinks the body's been stolen. Her body snatchers, which, you know, was, was logical. A logical conclusion. And so she's thinking this when suddenly she hears a voice. She turns around. And Jesus is there. The risen Jesus is there. And, and so and he speaks to her, Mary. And of course, she recognizes his voice. And he says, uh, I want you to go and tell my brothers that I'm alive and that I'm coming to see them. And so she went. She must have run 
to the house where the disciples were staying, where they were hiding. And she said, she told them, you guys are not going to believe what I just saw. I just saw Jesus. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And you know what these great men of faith did? Well, they all doubted her. At that point, it wasn't just Thomas. It was all of them. Nobody believed her. They said, Mary, you've either seen a ghost or you've had a hallucination. I mean, you're in deep grief. You're mourning. It's understandable. Uh, but Jesus is dead. They didn't believe her. Now, the point of this, the point of what I'm telling you is that none of his followers actually believed that Jesus was alive until they were eyewitnesses, until they saw him with their own eyes. I'm trying to make the case here that, and, and, and let, let me read some, some other passages here in a minute, but trying to make the case here that the disciples didn't concoct this story. They didn't even believe that it was possible. They didn't make up the story to them. It wasn't even in, in their, you know, in their uh, psyche, their thinking to believe that he could be alive. They doubted it when Mary, who saw him, told them, I saw him. It wasn't enough that they heard he was alive. They said, I've got to see him. Now, let me ask you a question. If you saw someone walking down the street that you had just been at their funeral three days earlier, and you were there at the funeral, you went to the committal service, and you saw them put the coffin underground, and then three days later, you see him walking down the street, you're like, okay, hold on. What's going on here? Am I going crazy? You'd be confused, maybe scared, <laughs> a little frightened. Now, do you think that you would ever forget that experience? No, I think the rest of your life, you would say, do you remember that time? Oh, my word, I just can't believe that happened. Would it change your life? You bet it would change your life. Would it change your, your worldview about life after death, or about life and about life after death? Of course it would. Would it give you hope? Yeah, probably. That there's life after death, yeah. And one of the things that's been difficult to uh, explain, to explain uh, without the resurrection, is the sudden change in the followers of Jesus from before the resurrection. Because of the crucifixion, remember, they were all scared because he, they saw him, he saw Jesus being tortured and, and crucified. So they're running away, they're defeated, they're demoralized, they're in despair, they're disillusioned. And then three days later, they're ready to, took, they're ready to take on the Roman Empire. Three days later, they're like, bring on the Romans, bring on the world. What happened? What changed them? They had seen Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. And suddenly they had this hope for the future. Why? Because they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, uh, to the resurrected Christ. Here's what Peter wrote down in, in his book, in his letter, universal letter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1.16. He wrote this, When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were not just telling, uh, we were not telling just stories that someone invented, or not just telling stories that someone invented, but we saw the greatness of Jesus with our own eyes. Um, many years ago, I was having a discussion with 
A very good friend of ours who's now with the Lord, Noel Reina, many of you know him. He died a couple of years ago, sadly. Uh, and, uh, but he was very intelligent, and, and he was an expert on, on English, grammar, and so on. And he, he was an attorney. He had other attorneys who would go to him for help on writing briefs and doing it correctly and such. And uh, we, had, we would have grammar discussions regularly. And one time, our discussion centered around this phrase, our own or my own. And, and because some people say, well, that's, that's redundant to say my own. If you're saying my, that means own. So you should say my eyes, not my own eyes. And he says, no, that's, that's actually correct to do that. And you do that when you really want to emphasize that truth. And that's exactly what happened here. We saw, Peter says, we saw the greatness of Jesus. He didn't say with our eyes. He says with our own eyes. It's an emphasis, and it's correct grammatically for him to say, we saw him. Nobody told us about this. We didn't make up this story. So not just the original 12 uh, disciples, but Jesus, when he came back to life, he stayed on earth for 40 days before he went uh, back to heaven. 40 days. And in those 40 days, literally hundreds of people and maybe uh, well, hundreds of people saw him, and maybe thousands of people became Christians, became believers, because Jesus was walking around. How do you doubt that? I love this. This is the last verse we're going to read here. Acts 1-3. Acts 1-3. For 40 days after his death, speaking of Jesus, he appeared to them many times in ways that proved beyond doubt, proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him, and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. Now, can you imagine all that? And, and Paul expands on this a little bit. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're, gonna, we're not going to read this now, but in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he lists uh, just a few of the eyewitnesses. Not, not an entire list, but he says that Jesus was seen by Peter, Cephas, he calls him. He was seen by the 12 apostles. And he was seen by James. Then he was seen by all the apostles. He was seen, he says, at one time by 500 of his followers. At one time. And then Paul says, last of all, I saw him too. When he had an encounter uh, with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now again, this is not an entire list. We're talking about 500 plus. Some people, some scholars had said maybe up to 900 people saw him. And thousands of people became followers of Christ because of that. So for 40 days, Jesus had these meetings, multiple meetings with a lot of different people, with friends. And folks, this is what we call uh, conclusive proof, indisputable evidence. Having 900 witnesses, let me tell you, I don't know much about law, but I believe having 900 witnesses will stand up in any court of law Anywhere in the world. Now let me just finish with this. If I were to tell you that I saw Matthew McConaughey at Whataburger here in San Angelo, how many of you would believe me? Now I, I know some of you would say yes, but let's just go with me here. Okay? Any, other, any other time, any other year than last year? Okay, if I, if I said I saw him at Whataburger, then, and if I was the only one who said that, 
Now, we know that he was actually here. We know that he was actually at Whataburger. You know, it was documented, and people saw him, and it was, it was, it was on the Internet. So we know it's got to be true. But let's say that I was the only one who said it, and nobody else was backing me up, then you would have reason to doubt me. But if several different people said, yeah, we saw him, he was at Whataburger. He, he went through the drive-thru at Whataburger. And somebody says, yeah, I saw him. Well, I mean, after a while, several people say, yeah, he was there. Then it starts to change everything, doesn't it? It makes it more believable. But what if there were 900 witnesses that said that they saw Matthew McConaughey? He's, he, not only did we see him, but he's still here in San Angelo. He's staying at the, he's staying at the Motel 6, <laughs> trying to stay incognito, undercover. And what if somebody says, well, I had breakfast with him. And somebody else says, yeah, I had dinner with him. The other day, and somebody said, Well, you know what? I heard him speak at a symposium at ASU with 500 people were there, and we all saw him. I mean, that means you've got a lot of witnesses, and, and right off the bat, if you're a doubter, you got a problem with your doubt because now all these people are coming out of the woodwork saying, Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, we all saw him. Yeah, I talked to him. Witness after witness after eyewitness. And that's what happened. And folks, that's why the church exploded. It exploded. And within years, there were 30,000 members of the church just in Jerusalem alone. And, and then it grew to nearly half a million. It exploded all over the Roman Empire. Why? Because of the resurrection and because there were lots of witnesses to the resurrection. So the resurrection gives us hope. Gives us hope that we're completely forgiven. And that we don't have to be afraid of death. There's life after death. Jesus conquered death. So how do we access this hope? How do we access it? It's more than saying, oh, I went to church on Easter. Or more than saying, yeah, I, I grew up going to church. I don't go anymore. I spoke to a, a gentleman yesterday. Uh, I was at uh, the music store here at Tarpley's and... Uh, I was wearing my Solid Rock shirt. So he says, where is Solid Rock? So I talked to him, talked a little bit. And I said, what's your church background? He says, well, not much. You know, I don't really go to church. And, and uh, so people might say, well, I don't go to church, but I went on Easter. And uh, or they say, well, I go once in a while. But that's not enough. That's not enough. The way we tap into this hope is by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and by following Him, by being His followers, devoted to Him, devoted to His cause. You know, we're not about some other idea or ideology. We're about following Jesus. And He will come and forgive our sins, give us hope for the future here on earth and life after death as well. He'll transform us. He'll change our, our lives and hearts. But it's got to start with us surrendering our life to Jesus. So if, if you're here in this place and you've not taken that step before, or if you're watching online on Facebook or YouTube right now, and, and you, you know about Jesus, you know, yeah, Easter, the resurrection. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe you think Easter is just about the Easter bunny. Then today you can make that decision. This, this is a great opportunity and a great day to turn your life over to Jesus because you'll never forget it. You'll remember it was on Easter of 2021 
that I surrendered my life to Jesus. So do that today, would you? Do that today. Surrender your heart, your life, your everything to him and become his follower. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this great opportunity you give me. Lord, I'm truly blessed to be able to to preach your word, to teach, to do something that I love to do, something that I believe you've called me to do. I thank you for that, Lord. And this message of hope, this message of the resurrection is what changes people's lives. The resurrection changed the lives of your disciples, and it changes lives even today. And so I pray for that person who might be here today, that person who maybe has never really taken that step to surrender their lives to you. Maybe they did, but they've lost their way, they've walked away, and it's time to come back home. I pray that as they say to you, God, forgive my sins. I surrender my life to you. Come and change my heart and transform my, my life. Do that, Father. Or maybe somebody's watching online, Lord, and they're praying with us. Answer that prayer. Answer the prayer of that man who is watching and is saying, God, I've tried so many other ways. They've never worked out, so now I surrender my life to you. Forgive my sins. Give me hope. and Help me to be transformed. Help me to overcome sin, the habits of sin. Whoever it might be, Lord, hear that prayer. Hear that cry. We worship you today. We give you praise. We thank you that you are alive. We, we want to just celebrate that today in Jesus' name.